0: In today's episode, we have Annie Lucas with us, and she's going to talk about how she turned her in-person sewing events into professional online courses. You'll also get to hear why you should teach your courses live to hone in on your skills, how teaching your online course multiple times before recording it will make the process easier, and why you should consider bootstrapping your business when starting out. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the online course igniter podcast where you'll hear from successful course creators and how they were able to turn their passion into a thriving online business empire. Hey everyone, thank you for checking out the show today. I am very happy to have you here with us. And I have a very lovely guest with us, Annie Lucas from Start to Stitch. And today we're going to hear all about her uh, journey into online business and online courses. And it's just a pleasure to have you on the show today. Annie, how are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me
0: yeah i'm I'm glad that we were able to connect. I really look forward to this episode and uh, hearing all about everything great that you have going on with your online business before we dive into that, could you just take a moment and let our listeners know a little bit about you what you were doing before you got you know into online business and online courses, and then how did you transition into this world
1: so I I uh, have always sewn since I was a really small girl. I, when I was about uh, four, my parents split up from each other and um, my dad moved into another house and in the UK in the 1980s, there was no TV, um, kids TV on a Sunday morning, just politics, endless politics. So one day I went exploring and found a bin liner, a black sack full of um, fabric in the utility room at, at my uh, at my dad's new house and I was probably four or maybe five, and I just started chopping it up and stitching it together with a kind of needle and thread that I'd found in uh, his sewing kit that he kept to fix his work shirts. So sewing has always been kind of part of my DNA. No one's ever really taught me, I taught myself, and I almost hyper-focused on it really throughout my teenage years and Ended up doing a degree in costume design at a college in London called Central Saint Martins, which is quite well known if you're if you know about kind of art school stuff. Uh, and became a costume designer um, mainly for ballet and theatre. And then I did a master's and sidestepped into a different career altogether. And then got married and fell in love. And I was living in London, and my husband didn't really want to be hanging around in, in London very much. It wasn't working for us. So um, we temporarily moved out of London and then we relocated completely to where I live now, which is a a part of the UK called Cornwall, which is the kind of, if you're looking at a map of, of Great Britain, it's the kind of bottom left hand furthest most tip. And I started a bridal label uh, and made couture bridal for a few years. And then I had kids and wedding dresses and children, as anybody can imagine, um, is not very conducive. So (laughs) when I was on my first maternity leave, my mum actually taught me into starting a few informal classes in the local village hall. So I, I started teaching in my village hall to a few people that I just sort of randomly found from a flyer on a lamppost, basically. And it all started from there. I had another baby. And after my second daughter was born, I I started to formalise it a little bit more and programme in courses across the the space of a year. I was just moving into my second year of that and realising that I was onto something and that I was really enjoying it and building a really strong and lovely community of of creative people uh, where I live locally, then the pandemic hit. Like many, many other businesses, I had to do a very sudden pivot. I originally pivoted just to complete the courses that were outstanding for the students that I had. But very luckily, my husband is a professional filmmaker. So we're totally rigged up here to be able to film stuff. So he filmed He filmed it all. And I was able to to kind of deliver in a really hasty way through Facebook groups. And as the pandemic went on, I realised that this was a model that could really work and actually would answer a lot of the problems I had with teaching face to face prior to the pandemic. So that's really how I've ended up where I am now.
0: Yeah, this is really cool. Um, I love that story. Uh, It's a little different than a lot of other people's, uh, the way you come about it. That's why I, I love doing this podcast is I get to hear everyone's unique version of how they come into this. And hopefully it lets the audience, the listeners know to this podcast that there's no one right way that you have to follow. Like You can you can come at this from from different angles. So we'll definitely dive into a couple of things here. I love that you said that uh, your first course was a flyer on a lamppost. My, my, how different is it today? <laughs> I
1: know. And it wasn't that long ago, really. I mean, um, well, my first daughter's only wow. seven. So really, we're talking about six years ago. It wasn't that long ago. It's just kind of, I don't, I mean, I don't know how it works in the States, but certainly when you're trying to drum up business locally, lampposts and post office windows and mm-hmm. that kind of place, is a good place to find people. But my mindset, lead us to say, has had to go through a huge uh, transition as I've moved everything online. And that's been the, one of the biggest challenges, actually.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's it's really cool because not everyone might think of that. And that. Presents an opportunity to people listening. Like um, here, it's it's a lot of coffee shops will have bulletin boards, and so you go into yeah. a coffee shop. It's got a bulletin board by the bathroom, and people stick up their business cards. Maybe you could stick up cards of your course and get people in that way. So I think that's I think it's really unique, and I think it's really cool um, to mention that. So you started doing these courses locally when you did those first couple of courses just in your local town hall. Did you have an idea of how you were going to teach or what you wanted to teach? Like, had you built a curriculum per se, or did you just have some ideas and you went in and said, I'm just going to show a couple things I know how to do?
1: I had a really clear idea about what I wanted to teach in the initial instance, really, because I had for years as somebody that sews and makes, you know, exquisite gowns and beautiful tutus for ballet and you know really exciting and uh, people have often looked at what I've done in my career and thought gosh it must be so wonderful and actually uh, you know it looks wonderful and I think anybody who's worked in the performing arts sector would say that it has its really wonderful moments it's also seriously hard graft it involves a lot of late nights (laughs) but throughout all that time I'd heard the same stories from my friends and from people I might meet at weddings or parties or whatever else Um, And it was the same story coming, which is essentially, A, I wish I could do what you can do, but B, I've got a sewing machine, but it's never been out of the box, or I've got a sewing machine, but it's stuck in the cupboard under the stairs because um, I tried to thread it one day and I wanted to throw it out the window or against a wall, or I used to sew, but I had a terrible teacher at school who... Tra- basically traumatised me and I've not been able to so since because I think I'm crap at it. And it was those kind of stories that were coming at me time and time and time again. So my first course, which is still which I'm still teaching um, and was still teaching when I pivoted online, was very much aimed at those people and was designed to not just teach them how to thread a machine successfully without wanting to throw it against the wall, but also <laughs> Some of the really key foundational bits of knowledge that I feel are vital when you're starting on an adventure into sewing so that you get things right the first time. But you're also not coming up against a hurdle the minute you've overcome the biggest mountain, which is essentially threading the machine. You know, you, you, you thread the machine and you have this huge euphoric moment of I've threaded the machine and then suddenly you realize how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. So that puts people off and it's detrimental to their development and their learning. And I have really personal reasons for wanting people to sew. You know, I have a, a kind of personal history of trauma in my life as a childhood and as an adult. And sewing has really been a, a wonderful way of processing things and being present and keeping in the moment and expressing myself. Um, so aside from earning me a living, it's really helped my mental health. So that's really been a driver for me in my business. And I didn't want to be teaching people in a way that um, was going to ultimately potentially make them feel bad about themselves because they would kind of got so far, but they didn't know where to go next. So I basically devised a five-module, five-week course Um, That I taught weekly one evening a week that covered off uh, threading and then some really foundational skills so that by the time they got to the end of it if they never had another sewing lesson as long as they lived they were doing things right and they were really able to not only tackle simple projects but To use the knowledge they've got to kind of invent their own projects, which to me was really important, that empowering people to be able to take the knowledge I've given them and run with it without needing to be spoon-fed, without having to sew a prescribed project from a book or a pattern from a catalogue or whatever. So I had that really clearly in mind. And that was the first thing. And I basically wrote it week on week. I had an idea about what I was going to teach, but I I wrote it week on week as I got to know the group and I got to know that first group and I got to know what their skills were. And they all wanted to do more. So I wrote another one and I'm still teaching that one too. (laughs) Um, And I was only teaching six people at a time because I wanted to give people a really good one-to-one. I didn't want to have a room full of 10 people. I also really wanted the students in my class to feel strongly connected with each other. Like there was a kind of sense of community. We all sat in a circle. We went in lines. I used to put bowls of, uh, in England, we call them jelly babies. I don't know whether you have them in the States, but they're like little candies that are shaped like babies. They're all really bright colors. That's, now when I'm talking about it, it sounds really random. I didn't <laughs> want people to feel like they were coming to a formal class I wanted people right. to feel like they were coming to an evening sewing with friends where they were learning something really valuable. and that has been the foundation of my business from the beginning and has absolutely carried on in every decision I've made since and during the pivot onto online. it's been so important to carry that essence of togetherness and community and mental health and the kind of positive well-being benefits of sewing on um, into what I do and what I have done since 2020.
0: Right, yeah. You know, there's two things that I hear here that I think is important. The first is I, I think it's important that you were paying attention to what your students or what your audience was telling you about these stories that they kept repeating, and you kept noticing these patterns over and over again. When you start getting deep into marketing and sales, Um, you realize that that's super important to make sure that you are paying attention. And that's something that I highly recommend to people is to be taking notes of what stories, what objections, what problems do people keep telling you that you can solve with your course or with the way that you present the material. So I first want to say that I think that's awesome that you did that. That's super important. And then the second thing too is I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the in-person Course. And I'm glad that you elaborated on it more. Obviously, you know, the name of this podcast is Online Course Igniter Podcast. But I feel like people can take this information and they can present it into an in-person event or vice versa. And the fact that you started there, I feel is important because Some people do in-person events, some people go straight to online courses. I feel like the people who do in-person events have um, a little bit of an edge because they get to meet those people face-to-face, they're right there with them. They can see where they're struggling. They can see the problems that they're having. And I, f- I feel like it really, like you said, develops a sense of community and you kind of get your style, you know, through having the candy and and the format and the and the, and the circle and the way that you set it up. You kind of realize like, this is how I like to teach. Now, when I go online, how can I incorporate this same idea into my online classes? How can I still make it feel like someone is sitting in the same room with me and enjoying this? And so, I, I think that that's super important too. Whenever you do these in-person events, and and I recommend anyone do them. Like if if you have a chance, like you're teaching something, even if it's programming or or graphic design, something that's a very you know computer-based skill go to your local town hall, go to your local library, see if you can host some in-person courses. I feel like you'll benefit from that. Um, What are some of the things that you learned by doing those in-person events that was able to help you when you did go online? Was there any any mistakes or any things that you found when you were doing those events that when you went into your online course, it really helped out that process?
1: Yes. Absolutely. The biggest one is how hard it is for adults to learn something new. It's not that adults physically find it hard to learn. We can all learn things. We're all learning new things every day. But for me, it really developed an awareness of how difficult it is in terms of one's own origin story and the voices and the experiences you've had and the stories you tell yourself about yourself and your own abilities, especially if you've had a difficult time with my, you know, with my subject of sewing at school and there's been some kind of traumatic experience with a nylon nightdress or something, and which is another story I hear a lot. So for me, that, that really was the biggest kind of deep dive into the psychology of how people learn and what people need what adults need in order to have a good learning experience you know i i actually wrote an email to my list about this this morning because i it's something i feel really strongly about you know i i still teach this beginners course it's still a really important part of my, it's probably the most important part of my My program at the moment, my whole kind of curriculum at the moment. But my whole teaching style is all about lifting people up. It's about lifting people up and celebrating their achievements. And yes, if somebody asks for criticism, if someone invites criticism, if someone really wants to uh, know how to do things better, then I offer that in a really constructive way. But first and foremost, it's about empowering that person and celebrating the fact that whether it's brilliant or not quite as good as brilliant, but okay, it's still okay. And they've still done it. And they've still taken the step to watch the lesson and put the thing into practice and to have a go. And actually the doing of the thing is the bit that I celebrate. Like, you know, my students... If they enjoy what they're doing, then they become self-critical, and I support them in that, and I help them, and I do it in such a way as I encourage them to look at what they're doing and want to improve, and and offer them tips and tricks to improve. But it's never ever framed as, well, you know, that's a great piece of work, but your cushions, could, your corners could be pointier, because essentially, at the end of the first lesson, they've made a pincushion cushion and it's just a little stuffed square, but it, it they've made a thing, and they've gone from baseline zero to making a practical usable object. For me, that's, as a teacher, so rewarding. You know, my attitude to my students is always to celebrate them and to help them realise that very few people are learning with me because they want to become Parisian couturiers. You know, if they wanted to become a Parisian couturier, they'd be going somewhere else. They're learning with me because they want to do something for themselves. They want to have fun. They want to make things with love to give their friends and family, but they're not doing it to get slated on in a massive work workroom, I was watching Making the Cut actually, which is a bit like Project Runway. I was on Prime because like, I've been poorly, and I was watching that yesterday. And I was thinking, how really catty and unpleasant sometimes the judges were being, and it was really depressing me because I just thought, you know, this isn't. These are really talented people who are putting years of experience onto the runway in front of them. And there are ways of delivering criticism. There are ways of reinforcing, po- you know, the positive aspects of what people are doing. So for me, I've witted on, but basically for me, the biggest thing I learned from that time was the psychology of an adult learning. And so I don't, although I'm moving to Evergreen now with my programs, I'm actually still offering weekly drop-in Zoom calls so people can still see me. There's still a sense that there is always a tutor there for them to ask. There is always somebody once a week who will be there who they can ask a question from and who will celebrate them.
0: Are you struggling to create your first online course? Do you have an idea for a course topic but don't know how to get started? It can be hard trying to figure out everything that goes into course creation. How do you outline your course? How do you set up the technology to create the content? How do you publish it so that you can begin helping others and making money immediately? We know it can be difficult for first-time course creators. That is why we have designed the Start Your First Course Challenge. Our goal is to help you get that online course published within a couple of weeks. That means that you can get your digital product to market without wasting a bunch of time we will show you how with the easiest methods possible that we have learned and crafted over the years. You'll learn how to choose a topic, outline your course, script what you want to say, and then record the material. After that, you'll discover how to set up the platform and publish it, all with a simple system that's guaranteed to get you results fast. Beat your procrastination by taking action today. Go to StartYourFirstCourse.com now to sign up. That's startyourfirstcourse.com. See you in the challenge. We as teachers and instructors and educators, our, our goal is to guide people into the right place of education that's really going to help them out the most. And, and there's something to be said with, like you said, criticizing in, in a way that's going to help them out. But just to criticize someone doesn't really help people who are learning, especially in those beginning stages, as you mentioned, um, because you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to know what you don't know. And you have to have some kind of leeway to allow for things to be wrong and be okay with that. I wanted to learn the violin. And so I picked up a violin a couple of years ago and it was really hard because it's a completely different instrument. And I had to be okay with being squeaky and not sounding good and not knowing how to play scales and stuff like this. And, um, you have to have that that positive reinforcement from someone because if someone is just constantly criticizing you you will start to begin to believe that you are not grasping it and will never grasp it and therefore what's the sense of moving forward but if someone is positive they're encouraging and they're you know teaching you the right way then you build that self-confidence and through self-confidence you will want to continue to a point where you will begin to master what it is you're trying to master. So that's that's really cool. So you moved into recording your videos, which I assume was a completely different experience for you. So what was it like having to transition now into videos and, and uh, taking it online?
1: Yeah, that was a totally different experience. And kind of through the lens of the first week of the first UK lockdown, when we were all just I don't know about you, but we were all just totally stunned at how fast everything had unfolded here and and what was happening around us and how our lives had changed for an indefinite period of time overnight. So it was all a bit of a strange and surreal time. And I am prone to overthinking and am a bit of a perfectionist in most things that I do, although having kids has made me slightly less of a perfectionist. (laughs) Um, Don't do that. You just, that's the path to insanity when you've got children is maintaining perfectionism. So basically I was panicking about my students and also how I was going to earn money. You know, I had students who hadn't finished a course, but also I had no idea how long this was going to go on for. I had no idea where my income was going to come from. I had a year's worth of courses program that I couldn't deliver. And I didn't know when I'd be able to deliver them. And I sort of was in this terrible spiral of what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I remember my, uh, I'd been in the house, I think we were on sort of day three or day four. And I think I'd been doing a Pilates class that we'd moved online and I'd gone out into the garden. We had really fabulous, unusually fabulous weather in the the spring that year and here. And um, the kids were in the garden and my my studio is not where I am now, which is my office, but my studio is at the bottom of the garden. And I share it with my husband, who's a photographer and filmmaker. And I went out to talk to Chris about something and he basically he'd set up the studio with lighting and he said I'll never forget it he said right so we're going to film your course now Uh, you just need to go and put some mascara on (laughs) (laughs) just go and you know whatever it is you need to do go put some mascara on a bit of makeup he knew that would make me feel better and about suddenly being on camera and I said (laughs) we can't possibly we can't possibly we can't I haven't planned it I don't know what I'm doing we haven't practiced he said we don't need to you just need to do it and honestly, if it hadn't been for him, I don't think I would ever have be even one foot closer to where I am today because that was just a real sliding doors pivotal moment. And like, I can remember so clearly coming back into the house and putting some makeup on my face and then going back out into the cabin. And because it was the beginner's course that I was teaching um, and I taught it sort of seven or eight times already, I knew it like the back of mm-hmm. my hand. I had everything planned. I had the handouts prepped. I knew what the content was. And I'm relatively confident on camera. I do lives in my Facebook group and like with my other jobs, I've done lots of presentations. So I was pretty confident about being on camera. It was just being scared that I was moving into this world I knew nothing about. And actually at that point, hadn't done very much research in. And that's essentially how it happened. And my my number two child was uh, about 20 months old at the time. And we filmed... We filmed that course during her nap times over the course of the next two weeks. She slept for two to three hours a day. And my eldest, who was in reception, so first year of grade school uh, here, and so we hadn't really, didn't have any home learning for her because she had only been in school a few months. And she just played around in the garden in the paddling pool and we filmed while the little one slept. And that's that's what happened. It sort of happened without me even realizing it. And then suddenly we were in this whole new world, this brave new world, and I was researching everything to within an inch of its life and trying to work out <laughs> where I could go next. <laughs>
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, my kids are 11 and eight now and I started eight years ago. So at the time I had a three-year-old and a newborn baby and I feel you like set them down, run over real quick, try to record before they wake up or they need a glass of water or something. So that's really cool. Well, what a blessing he is because I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast right now would love to have someone come up to them and say, Hey, I set up a recording studio. Let's film your course."
1: I count my blessings every day for how fortunate I am for him because he is my biggest champion but he also is mm-hmm. just there when I need you know when I need help with tech and you know we all, all of us who are making these these courses and forging our way in the online world tech is not does not come naturally to a a lot of us and um and to have somebody there who can say oh yeah you need this kind of microphone and you need to do this and no that lighting isn't right and the problem is we need to do it from this angle uh but i can stand here with my gimbal and and you know film you uh and it'll look great uh i'm i am so lucky because also it's been a a huge cost saving exercise apart from anything else you know filming professional videography is expensive and and i wouldn't have been able to do it if i didn't happen to have a resident cameraman
0: yeah and you know not not everyone needs that i just put a disclaimer out there that to get started don't feel like you have to have that but that is amazing that you did and, and have that ability because you're right you know a lot of people who teach online courses they're in the arts or they're in some kind of education like you said that isn't in production and so it is it is a challenge to figure out the production side figure out the the hosting platforms and the technology and the different things that goes along with it but something else that you said a minute ago that is is super important is you know you you said that you had already taught your subject multiple times and knew the information like the back of your hand so when you went to go record you you knew it and i'm sure you had to take it you know multiple takes or something every now and then but i feel like that's important too and this goes back to you teaching in person events right like yeah. this is why yeah. it's not a bad idea for someone to consider going and teaching an in person event somewhere because you will get that ability again to teach it multiple times and refine and get better, figure out people's frustrations and what's hanging them up and then adding that to the course. Um, we take this into the online world by selling a beta program or a pilot program where you're you're basically doing the same thing online. You're getting a group of people, uh, they're paying you money, you get them into a Zoom call, and then you teach the information. If you can do that a couple times before you go record your course, I feel like the process is going to go a little smoother. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. And the point you made about um, understanding people's frustrations is the key thing about that. It's not just about knowing your material inside out and back to front. It's about being able to preempt the struggles your students are going to have when they're doing it. On their own at home, so that you can build that into the the way you're teaching or into the kind of supporting handouts or the way you caption the video or whatever else, so that you can really give them the most positive experience possible. And I, you know, if I just decided I was going to do an online course in in sewing, it would be a very different beast to the one I've got now because I had the benefit of all of that. And actually, um, I've written subsequent courses and put them online. I have really found that experience of understanding where people's frustrations are is so important, even with the new the new stuff that I've been producing, because I have that prior experience. I have that prior experience of where people might get snagged and where people might get, you know, stumble, where people might not understand. And it's really fed through into all the new stuff where I haven't been able to beta test face to face uh, because of the ongoing situation with the pandemic, and because also now I have a, this much bigger community that I can be to test with who are all online and who all know and appreciate the way I teach online, so I, I can find them and and it, and it works. But that face to face experience was so important.
0: Now, um, you mentioned that when you went online, you hosted this in a Facebook group. So was this a, a paid thing that you were doing? Were people paying you and then they had access to the course? And uh, the follow-up question to that was, were you putting the videos in Facebook or were you using some kind of platform to host the course? What, what did that look like when you got it online?
1: Initially, nobody was paying me because they'd already paid me. So there were students who had uh the lockdown had interrupted their face-to-face learning so the in that very very first stage was just me trying to deliver on a promise to teach them when I realized that it could work I then did a bit of social media you know I'm doing a course you're all locked up at home do you want to learn to sew with me and I had a few people you know quite a few people take me up I was initially putting the video straight into Facebook into a closed Facebook group but Facebook In the very early stages of the pandemic, changed their rules about the sizes of videos you could upload. Um, and so we had to think very quickly on our feet. And at that point, my resident technical expert Chris (laughs) said, No, you just need to put them on YouTube as unlisted links. So at that point, we put them on YouTube as unlisted links, and then I still gave people a drip access to the content so I was dripping it weekly they were having a module released weekly but I was basically copying and pasting the captions for the videos with the link from YouTube into Facebook with the with it set in social learning mode so at that point it was they were called modules Facebook again has changed and they're now called guides but um, at that point they were called modules so I was sort of starting to find my way with how online course delivery works without investing in a platform. I was getting a sense around, you know, how handouts accompany videos, what order things go in, what I might need to say extra to the video in order to clarify or qualify it. And I was giving people that live weekly drip fed content, but I was also having the benefit of them being in the group being able to share all their work and chat with each other and support each other and I would pop up and do a live periodically and then I think by the time I started running it properly the uh I think I ran it once just as a totally passive thing with just me in the group and then this the next time I I ran it when I did it that was when I did my first kind of formal proper launch by that time we were in Uh, October of 2020 and I'd been I suddenly immersed myself in the world of online learning and how does it work and course launching and what do you need to do so I did as much as I could a live launch when it was just me at home with two small children and I had 15 people sign up to that course within 48 hours of me launching it and at that point I introduced the live weekly video chat element to it. So that they had the sense of classroom environment and they were all together. They were seeing each other once a week and they were making friendships. And that has worked. You know, I've had courses where students have been crying in the last week because they're not going to see each other again. And that's (laughs) that's been really validating.
0: In the live chats, you were doing those inside of Facebook?
1: Yes. So I had a messenger group where we were chatting, but I was also using the Facebook group where I was hosting the videos. So everything was basically run through Facebook. It was proper bootstrapping. I was going to say I've only just since September been migrating everything over to Kajabi.
0: I like the way that you bootstrapped it because it shows people that you don't have to get real complicated in the beginning when you're just starting out, which I I recommend is probably better because there's no sense in going and spending you know, 100 to $200 a month on an online course platform. If you haven't even tested your course idea, if you're not making sales, if you don't know how you're going to teach, you know, people want to jump right into the production and getting it hosted. And it's like, why don't you go make sure that this is something people will pay for, make sure that you're teaching it the right way, make sure that you're building that community first. And then like you did later on, once you have a proven system, what you've done, then you can move it over to an online course platform. So I like this idea. Just put the videos up on YouTube. YouTube is free. You can unlist the videos where people can't find them unless they have the link. You can set up a free Facebook group where you can have your community. You can do live videos. Um, you can, like you said, drip them into the the modules or the sections of Facebook or the guides um, every week. I think that's brilliant. I think it's a really cool way. And uh, you're moving over to Kajabi now. Kajabi is uh, one of my... Top recommendations. I like that platform a lot. Are you finding it pretty intuitive? Do you do you enjoy Kajabi?
1: It's taken a bit of getting my head around, just because you know any kind of developing platform is a new thing to learn. And I'm not great at. I <laughs> somewhat ironically, I'm not great at watching videos and having the patience to watch videos to watch someone else show me how to do it. So I just kind of dive in and make it up as I go along. So I had a few kind of moments of, oh I don't know what I'm doing, but now I've got the hang of it. It's certainly from the point of view of just like uploading the material and getting the courses right. My teething troubles were more to do with the sales pages and understanding how the offers and that kind of thing works. But it is a really intuitive platform and I like the end user interface. My students absolutely love it. Everyone that did the Facebook system are they are just loving the online Academy they it's so much easier for them the fact that they can have it on their phones that they can take their phone into the fabric shop and download their list of materials and there it is and it, it's really good um, it is pricey but it's really good and 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 for the long term it's absolutely the right thing for me because the other thing I've been learning about is is marketing you know I, I wasn't I'm not a marketing expert so I've been growing my list and cultivating all of that and trying to grow my audience in that way so having everything integrated in one place was ultimately why that was why i chose kajabi
0: very cool yeah it's it's a great program it's all in one you don't have to worry about having multiple applications you can have a blog you can host your course Uh, i think it even has a community feature built in that you can use so it really is a, a nice platform to use so that's neat that you're getting to that stage i think it's really awesome everything you've done and all the information that you've provided today, I think is really going to help a lot of people out. Uh, Thinking about the person who is just getting started, you know, thinking back to where you were um, some years ago and, and just now figuring all this stuff out, that person listening right now is a beginner. They're trying to figure it out. What would be probably your best piece of advice that you could give to them?
1: There's a saying that became my phrase of 2020 that relates to my perfectionist tendencies. And it was the biggest learning I had from 2020, which is done is better than perfect. I just wouldn't be here if I had faffed around trying to get it right. I just had to do it. And Actually, once I did it, I realized I could do it. You know, I could do it, and it was a good product. We're still using those lockdown videos. You know, we're still using them. (laughs) So, and I'm still selling that course, and people are still learning from them two years later. So, that is the biggest piece of advice: is you can drive yourself mad researching tech solutions and pipelines and how you're going to find people. But I think taking action is the best thing you can do, and don't dwell too much on trying to be perfect in the taking of the action because even if you only have three people on your first course even if you only have two people on your first course that those are still people that can give you testimonials those are still people that can help you evaluate your material those are still people that can help you understand what you need to do better and that's really important as you move forward and it's a start it's a start
0: Yes, definitely. That's some great advice. And uh, Annie, it's been awesome having you on the show today. And, And just thank you for taking the time to be here and spreading that knowledge to others. If people would like to learn how to sew or would like to find out more about you online, where can they go?
1: they can find me on instagram at start to stitch and on facebook which is the same and then my courses are all launching in an evergreen format now from the 28th of april so that is academy.startstitch.com and then I have a website, which is also stopstitch.com. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's, it's, all, it's all happening right as we speak, the, the migration over to, to, to Evergreen. And I've got a whole host of courses now. So I really appreciate the opportunity to chat to you today, Jeremy. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, it's been great having you. Thank you for everything. I'll make sure that I link up everything in the show notes. And I just hope that you continue having major success going into the future.
1: Oh, you're so kind. Thanks so much, Jeremy.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Annie. You can find out more about her and her business by visiting start2stitch.com, or you can get the show notes of this episode, along with links and resources by visiting onlinecourseigniter.com forward slash 88. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Online Course Igniter podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so that you don't miss an episode. If you would like to learn more marketing strategies and how to sell your online course, then also check out our free community where we share tips, tricks, and tutorials at OnlineCourseIgniter.com forward slash community.